Thank you for tuning in to Conversations with KC, a segment brought to you by the Keeping It Real with KC podcast. Here, the conversations are raw and casual with people from a plethora of backgrounds and your favorite host, KC Phoenix. All right. I have Terry Tucker on the line with me today doing the Conversations with KC segment. Terry, I will let you introduce yourself to the podcast listeners. Thanks, Casey. I appreciate you uh, giving me this opportunity. Um, just, I'll give you the little uh, sort of Reader's Digest background about myself. I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. I'm the oldest of three boys. You obviously can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I played basketball in college at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, on a scholarship despite having three knee surgeries in high school. When I graduated, I moved home to find a job. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college, and I was all set to kind of make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. I look back now and realize kind of what a knucklehead I was because I really didn't know a whole lot about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the the hamburger chain. But unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my grandmother and my father, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. In my professional career, as I said, I've been a, a marketing executive. I've been a hospital administrator a customer service manager, a police officer, and while I was a police officer, I was an undercover narcotics investigator and a SWAT team hostage negotiator. I was also a school security consultant, a girls' high school basketball coach, uh, a motivational speaker. Last year I became an author, but for the last nine years or so I have been a cancer warrior as I've been battling a rare form of melanoma. And then finally, uh, Kind of end this segment, I guess. My wife and I have been married for 27 years, and our daughter is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the newly created United States Space Force. So kind of in a nutshell, that's a little bit about me. Well, I'm, I'm jealous about the Space Force. I actually, <laughs> because, and, and that's one of the things that stuck out to me, because I remember when Space Force was first started, I wanted to join, and I was two years past the cutoff age. And I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, everybody, it's, it's like with, that is the particular, and, you know, kudos to all branches of the My family is in all branches of the military. My uncle was mm-hmm. actually one of the top people, one of the top people over nuclear weapons. But when it comes to Space Force, it's something about being able to say, what do you do for a living? Oh, me? I'm in the Space Force. It's like, <laughs> if, if, if that isn't one of the best lines, especially you could say pickup lines too, sure. as well, sure. definitely Space Force stands out. But the other thing, and I have to throw this out here too, I try to do as little research as possible on the people that I interview. I just look to know just a little bit about them. The reason is is because when I go down the rabbit hole of, of researching information, because I used to research a lot when I worked in real estate, I sometimes certain things I will lock on to it and I won't let go. Well, today, because I've been so relaxed, 
my bandwidth has been more open. Usually when I'm go, 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 the bandwidth isn't available to take in a whole bunch of stuff. But today, bandwidth open, I started reading through some of the things about you and the cancer part of you dealing with cancer, a rare form of cancer. And one thing that stuck out to me and I couldn't let go of it was that the medicine that you were taking after the surgery eventually made your body toxic in addition to other things that were happening every time that you took the medicine where you would have flu-like symptoms and all this other stuff. How, what makes you keep going? Because obviously that's what you're doing. You just keep going. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I guess I would answer that this way. I, 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 I guess I would attribute it to these things. I, I call it what my, my, my three truths, or excuse me, my four truths. But prior to my, giving you my four truths, I'd like to say I, I guess what's kept me going is, is the, the three Fs, faith, family, and friends. And then if you add the four truths, and I'll, and I'll give you those four truths, I have them literally on a post-it note that I, that I have on my desk that I see every day multiple, multiple times during the day. So number one is this. You have to control your mind or it will control you. Number two is you have to embrace the pain and the suffering that we all experience in life and use that suffering to make you a stronger and more determined individual. And number three, and this one I've added fairly recently, because I want people to kind of look at the end game, you know, their end of their life. What are people going to say about you at your funeral? Are your ancestors going to be proud of the life that you've lived? So number three is what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then number four is as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. So I use these truths along with the the three Fs to kind of make decisions in my life. And I've recently had a nurse uh, say something to me. I, I'm on a clinical trial drug for tumors in my lungs, and and she said, you know, Terry, these these this drug is just beating the heck out of you, and, and it, it it does. I'm on it for an entire week, and it really by Friday you can pretty much roll me up in the carpet and throw me out with the garbage. But I am I'm just really depleted mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. And she said nobody would think anything less of you if you quit this drug, if you got off of it. And I tried to explain the four truths to her, but I could tell it, it, it didn't quite resonate with her. So I told her, I said, you know, my doctor may take me off this drug or I may die taking this drug, but I will never quit this drug because that's just not the way I'm made up. And I could tell it didn't resonate with her, but that's just, that's just kind of the way I am. I, I am just, I'm not somebody that will give up. I'm, I'm doing this obviously for myself. But it, but it being a clinical trial drug, I'm also doing it for the people who maybe 10 years from now this company can develop or synthesize this drug, and maybe it can help them, can help somebody down the road. So it's not just about me. This is something much bigger than me. Wow, that's very selfless of you, too. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, believe me, I don't wear an S on my chest, and there's no, I don't wear a cape or anything like that, but... Yeah, this is, I mean, hopefully I can benefit from this. And I have seen some improvement in the tumors in my lungs. They've decreased by about 30%, but my oncologist is not talking cure. He's talking more. I can buy you some more time. So maybe 
they can learn something from me. Maybe they can – there were seven people on this study when I started at the University of Colorado. There are only two of us left now. And, and they have, I don't want anybody to think that they all these people have died. They have not died. They've just moved on to another form of treatment because this was not working for them. So there's only two of us left. So they're trying to glean as much information as they can to basically take this drug to a point where it, it can help more people. So if, if I can be part of that, I'm more than willing to do that. That's amazing. That Wow. <laughs> Okay, so with all of this happening now, do you think, and I always tell people that comfort and growth are not friends. In order for you to grow, you have to go through some type of discomfort. Was there something throughout your previous life, I know that you just mentioned that when you were in high school, you had some knee surgeries, but you still managed to go on scholarship to the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, which, by the way, I'm originally from the state of South Carolina, Greenville area. And, Outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, though the knee surgeries and anything else that may have happened, whether it was interactions through people when you worked at Wendy's, which has amazing burgers, by the way, and, and other things, did any of those things help give you the tools you need to continue to keep going the way that you have up until now? I think all of those things. I really kind of look back at my life. You know, when I when I had my first two knee surgeries in high school, arthroscopic surgery was not available. So my first two knee surgeries were, you know, I have the long zipper scar on the outside of my knee. And after my second operation, my my doctor, who was the team doctor for DePaul University, they, he took out 25 pieces of my bone that had chipped off. And, and he looked at me and he said, Terry, I'm, I'm sorry. He said, but I don't think you're going to play basketball again. And you may not walk normally again. I mean, I was 15 years old. The only success that I really had at that point in my life was basketball. So I wasn't willing to give that up. So I learned very early on that, and, and we all know this, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So the status quo to the brain is good. Don't don't do anything new, don't don't get outside your comfort zones. But outside your comfort zone is the only place that you're going to grow. So I wanted to get outside that comfort zone. I wanted to do these things. I I mean after that second surgery I was in a cast from my hip to my ankle. They don't do this stuff anymore for their, for an entire summer. So when the cast was removed my leg looked like something out of a concentration camp from World War II. And I had to spend all this time rebuilding. But all that time, my brain was saying, now, you know what? You're a step slower. And coaches aren't going to want to recruit you because of that. And so, so I had all this garbage negativity going on in my brain. So at 15, I quickly figured out, no, 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 you better change that narrative or you're going to be listening to that garbage all the time. So I had to go from, hey, you're a step slower to, you know what, I'm still playing at an elite level, and that, you know, coaches aren't going to want to recruit you. Well, yes, they are, because they're still calling the house, and I'm still getting, you know, mail from them and things like that. So that was one thing that absolutely, you know, got me to a point where, you know, I needed to change the narrative. And and over time during my cancer journey, kind of going on to that second you know, truth about embracing the pain and the suffering. As I said, you know, most people run from pain. I want to get away from it. I want to medicate myself. I want to do whatever I can to get away from it. 
I've learned, and I and I wish I knew how. I wish I could write a book about this because I'd be living on an island in Jamaica somewhere. Um, is that I've learned to take that pain and that suffering and to flip it instead of running from it, to just flip it inside and use it as fuel, burn it as fuel, use it as energy to make me a stronger and more determined individual. We're all going to experience pain in our life. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, that's optional. That's what you do with that pain. Do you want to sit in it? Do you want to wallow in it? Do you, do you want to sue in it? Or do you want to use it to make you a stronger and tougher and more determined individual? And I've just turned, turned it inside and used it to make me stronger. And, and don't get me wrong. There are days when I cry. There are days that I get down. There are days that I'm depressed. I just choose not to stay in those conditions for very long. Right, the low-frequency energy. Let me ask mm-hmm. you, because you, you said something. Because me, I always do my best to hold in the tears with, from frustration or anything. And some people say that that's not always a good thing, holding in the emotion. But you're saying that there are days that you cry and you still just keep going. But in those moments and not to really drag you back into that energy, I'm just trying to understand the mind or your mind, I should say, in those moments where is it one of those things where you may be asking why am I going through this or what is it that may bring you to that moment or is it just the pain itself that takes you there? I don't ask why. I, I've never asked. I mean, I've certainly asked my doctors, you know, why did I get this? And, and they they cannot give me an answer. I, I mean, I've had all 88 genes sequenced in a, in, a, in a, you know, gene therapy to see where I had mutations in my genes. I have no, I have no mutations in my genes. So why did I get this? I don't know. But when I was back on interferon, when I was taking that drug and it was giving me flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week, and I took that drug every week, only missed one week, took it every week for almost five years. And I, I, I looked back on that, and I was like, okay, today i, I got to win the day. I've got to win today. But for me, sometimes winning that day meant winning this five minutes. I've just got to get through this five minutes. I feel so lousy. I hurt so bad. I am so depleted that I've just got to hang on for five minutes. There was a point where um, after the interferon was stopped and I was put on a biologic, two-drug biologic medication that did nothing to the cancer but hopefully was going to rev up my immune system to fight the cancer. It didn't. It it didn't work at all. But it also gave me some severe side effects, and and it will take too long to go into all those. But basically I ended up, in the emergency room thinking I was having a heart attack, had pressure on my chest, was having difficulty breathing. And I remember looking at my wife, who was sitting right next to me, with literally tears coming down my cheeks and begging her to let me die. Just please let me die. And I remembered at that moment, and I do not know why, and I'm so thankful that I did, remembered reading an article about a the owner of a professional sports team here in the United States that hired a United States Navy SEAL probably some of the toughest group of men in the world, to come and live with his family for a month and teach them to do 
more than their mind and their body ever thought they could do. And what he taught them, one of the principles, I guess, that he taught them was the 40% rule. And the 40% rule says that if you're you're done, you're at the end of your rope. And it doesn't have to be cancer. It could be something as simple as, hey, I'm going to go out for a five-mile run and a three miles. I can't do any more. I'm done. I'm just going to walk home. But what the 40% rule says, if you are at the end of your rope, you're only at 40% of your maximum. And you still have 60% left in your body, left in your mind, left in your reserves, whatever you want to call it. You have 60% left to keep you going. And I just remember kind of going inside myself at that point in time and saying, you know what? No, you're not done. It's not over yet. God's not through with you. Use that 60%. And I found a way to survive and to keep going. So if you believe that 40% rule, and I'm living proof that it exists, then whatever you get to the end of your rope, remember that you still have 60% left in your reserve tank to keep going forward, keep pushing forward. Amazing. And also I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned too as you as you were speaking. You had mentioned that at some moment she wanted to just get through the next five minutes. I'm I'm glad you said that because I had seen something recently, actually um, last night, about micro Turning your goals into, I guess, I don't want to say micromanaging, but having micro goals where instead of saying, okay, I'm going to the gym to work out for two hours, set it up where you may not go to the gym, but you may do some jogging for 15 minutes instead. And then you may do something else for another 15 minutes. And then you may do something else for another 15 minutes and and so on and so forth instead of taking on this large list of goals and everything and then being overwhelmed with having to complete all of this. And and I'm sort of taking that on myself with my own type of list where instead of making a long list, I just put one or two things on the list and I don't focus on anything else until I get those one or two things done. That is That is how I move. So it seems like it's a little bit similar where to get you through certain moments, you were setting micro goals is what you were doing. Am I interpreting that correctly? It it certainly sounds like it. I mean, I think any time we're faced with any kind of insurmountable problem, I mean, this is a huge thing that I'm facing, it's almost daunting. It's like there's there's no way I I can handle this. There's no way I can overcome this. Well, maybe not in that huge picture that you're looking at, but if you can break that down into small, what I'll, I guess call bite-sized chunks that, that you can, you know, that, that you can take on, okay, I can, I can do this, and then when that's done, then I'm going to do this, and then when that, and so you, you break down a problem to, a more, to more manageable parts, it's much easier to overcome that problem. I guess, yes, the same thing that I was doing that, you know, oh my God, I can't believe that, you know, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning, and I feel so lousy, and I still have to get through the day. Well, just just get through the next five minutes or just get through the next, you know, 15 seconds, whatever you can do. I mean, I this is what I did, but I always think sort of somebody who might be an addict, you know, I want, I want that next fix. I've got to have it now. Get through the next five minutes. Don't do it. Get through the next five minutes. So, you know, somebody who's trying to lose weight, you know, I want that piece of chocolate cake. 
don't eat it right now. Wait five minutes. You know, break it down to something that's manageable. And that and that's the only thing I was able to do to be able to survive that. And it seems like you've been doing it thus far is managing everything little by little as you go along. And the result is is that you're still here. I am. And, and you know, it's funny because if you look at my CAT scan from June of 2020 – which I had never seen until a couple months ago. I, I literally, my doctor showed it to me, and he's like, Here, here's what it was June last year. I looked at it. I'm like, how was I alive? How was I able to breathe given the amount of tumor that I had in these lungs? And he was like, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. But kind of like you said, I, I am still here. I, I am obviously here for a reason. God wants me to stay, so I'm doing the best I can with what I have. Well, let me ask you this, because with your story, obviously, your a rarity is what you are, because you're still here. Have you been able, because we can have a telephone conversation right now, but are you mobile enough to be able to speak to other people in person about this, or is there anything else that you participate in? Do you do any writing about your experiences? Are you journaling? Because obviously it, your story is a story worth telling. Yeah. So last – and and this is kind of – I still can't believe I, I, I really did this. But last April I had my left leg amputated above the knee. And then in June – excuse me. April of 2020, not 2021. So April of 2020, I had my left leg amputated above the knee. In June of 2020, I started chemotherapy for the tumors that are in my lungs. In between that three-month period, I actually wrote a book. And the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And I always say I wrote it but I really feel it was inspired by something that was bigger than me. And the book kind of was born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former basketball player that I had coached, and and she and her boyfriend had moved to the, the Colorado area where my wife and I live. And I said to her one day after my wife and I had a dinner with them, I said, you know, I'm excited that you're living close, and I can kind of watch you find and live your purpose. And she, she got real quiet for a while, and she looked at me and she said, well, Coach, what do you think my purpose is? And I said, I have no idea what your purpose is. That's what your life should be about, finding that purpose, and then once you find it, living it. So that was one conversation. And then the second conversation was with a college student who had connected with me on LinkedIn, and he said, you know, I'd like to know what you think are the most important things that I need to know to not only be successful in, in business or in, in my job, but also in life. And I didn't want to give them the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those are not important things. They are. They're incredibly important. But I kind of think they've been done. So I, I wanted to give them something more. I wanted to give them something deeper, something that might resonate in his soul, so to speak. And so I took some time and I wrote some things down. And eventually I had these these 10 thoughts or these 10 ideas for him, and I felt comfortable enough with him to, to send them to him, and I did. And then I sort of stepped back, and I was like, well, you know, I've got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates this principle. So literally during that three-month period after I had my leg amputated, 
I sat down at the computer and I started to build stories uh, underneath each of those those principles. And eventually, I had sustainable excellence. I had a book, the very first book that I that I'd ever written. Now, let me ask you something else as well. Do you have any? I guess I'm looking for the best way to articulate this. It seems like you've been managing things day by day. However, have you have you ever made any future plans? Or are you just like, you know what, due to my circumstances, I'm just going to manage things day by day. I'm not worried about two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now. I'm just managing things day by day. Um, yeah, I pretty much am. I, I really can't say that I have, you know, two-year goals, five-year goals, or, or, or anything like that. Our, our, our daughter's getting married in the fall, so that's certainly something that I'm I'm trying to look look forward to. I, I am in a wheelchair. I, I have a prosthetic leg, but the 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 therapy that I'm on, I, I, I'm on it for a week. I get two weeks off, then I'm on it for another week. And I, because it's a clinical trial, there's no, you know, we're going to give you some time off or we're going to give you a break. There, there's no break. You just you just keep going and you use those two weeks to recover and then start again. So I have been really unable physically to have the energy to spend the time I need with physical therapy to. to learn to walk again. It, it, that is a, a huge goal for me. I would love to be able to walk again, to get out and, and be able to do that. So I'm trying to figure out how I can, you know, ratchet this up a little bit and say, you know what, yeah, you feel like crap, let's go find out how you can learn to walk again. So I'll get there. I, I know I'm going to get there, but pretty much what I do is, is, is sort of live it, work it day to day right now. Okay. And I don't know why. I, I have a feeling that you will find success. If you've made it this far, with this type of determination, I I don't see why you wouldn't be able to walk again. And I always tell people, one of the best songs I've ever heard, it, it was from the Cinderella remake with Whitney Houston and Brandy. It's impossible. Impossible things are happening every day is the theme of the song itself. And I, I, the things that I've seen in life happen with people where some people are like, I can't believe that happened. I honestly believe that you walking again will actually be a piece of cake for you. Well, I wish I shared your confidence, but I appreciate that. I, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I'm going to find a way to do it. I, 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 I haven't done it yet, but I will find a way to walk my daughter down the aisle. Yeah, the divine has a way of surprising people <laughs> from time and, to time. I mean, it does. And it, and it's just amazing, you know, how little credit we give to ourselves and how much we are capable of doing. I, I mean, I was, as I mentioned earlier, I was a police officer for a number of years. I, I've met all kinds of people who had terrible disease, who were so much worse off than I did, than I am, and yet they're, they're still moving forward. So the, the human body can take a tremendous amount of damage, for lack of a, a better word, and continue to move forward and continue to stay in the fight. So, I, I, you know, for everybody out there who thinks, you know, I'm done, you're not even close to being done yet. Yeah, that's one thing that I have noticed, that the human body is a little bit more durable than some may think, because I learned that myself, not that I've had cancer, you know, mm -hmm. but I, I did have mono, 
in, in 2020, along with some okay. other type of disease that came with it that comes from dogs. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, I found out from my doctor actually just about a month ago that there, because she, because I've been having issues where my throat wants to close up sometimes and, and other things that happen to me from time to time. And she's like, I want to test you for something else. I just have a feeling about something. And she was explaining it to me. She mentioned dogs. I'm like, but I don't deal with dogs. And she's like, well, I still want to test you for it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And sure enough, it hit me because the person I got mono from that I shared food with at a, at a dinner, I passed him that same day I took the test. And in the car with him was his dog. <laughs> and wow. as soon as I had seen his dog, I was like, it went right back to what my doctor had said earlier during my appointment that morning. I was like, okay, I have a feeling that test is going to come back positive <laughs> for the for the other virus. I think it's called parovirus or something like that. And okay. sure, sure enough, that test came back and it's like, oh yeah, so you got mono and you got this virus too, and all this stuff. So it has done, it has wreaked havoc on my body physically, but yet and still, I'm here just like it seems with cancer and all of the other things that you have been through, it's wreaked havoc, clearly, on your physical body, but yet and still, you are here. So, yeah, and, and and I had a nurse recently ask me, you know, she said, how how was that? You know, first you had your foot amputated in, in 2018, and then, you know, 2020 you have your leg amputated. And, and, and I told her, I said, you know, don't get me wrong, it wasn't easy. I mean, it was certainly not easy to deal with those amputations, but – I told her, I said, you know, I am more than the sum of my parts. And and you can take, you know, you can take another leg, you can take an arm, you can take whatever you want, but cancer can never touch my heart, it can never touch my mind, it can never touch my soul. And that's who I am. This is just the vessel that contains who, who, the, the, who Terry Tucker is, who this person is. This is just how I get that person from A to B. That's all, that's all this body is. That's not really who I am. And see, this goes back to what you were talking about before as well, the mind. And I had a conversation with, uh, with Jeed, and he, he was such, and he is such a lovely person, which he's going to come back on the show and do another conversation segment. But one thing I had mentioned was a quote. It came from a cartoon of all places. But the quote itself still resonated with me. And the quote was, my mind is my power, power is my mind. When uncorrupted by other elements, my mind becomes my truest power. Your and, quote. Yeah, I know. It's like that quote, when that was said, it sent chills down my spine. And the mind, if the mind is free, as long as it's not immobilized, as long as you're not in some type of self-imprisonment and, and things of that nature, as long as you have a strong mind and you have a will to move forward, you can usually overcome because there have been situations where people have done things physically that where scientists have said, based off of the data of their weight, their height, and, and so on and so forth, that they shouldn't have been able to do it. But because of their mind, the power of their mind, they were able to do what scientists would normally say is impossible to do. So it all yeah. goes back to the mind. It, it, it really does. And, you know, people always ask me about, 
about pain. And, you know, I, I, I tell them, you know, at some point in time, my pain is going to stop. You know, it, it, may, it may stop from surgery. It, it may stop from medication. Frankly, it may stop because I die. But, but if I quit, if I give up, if I give in, then that pain is always going to be with me. So I, I just, I just can't stop. I just can't quit. I just can't let go of the fact that I need to keep moving forward no matter how much this sucks. And it sucks. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. You just need to keep going because you can. You just got to tell yourself. And, and like you say, your mind can do amazing things. The only limit is really you. Now, I, I want to backtrack a little bit because something that you mentioned before, uh, in regards to working in law enforcement and in doing that, how did that, how did those experiences help build? Because obviously we know the knee surgery helped. It kind of, it was sort of the, the opening salvo, one might say, to what you were about to deal with as you went through life. But what about working in law enforcement? Was there anything there that contributed as well. I, I, I think so, and I think it kind of goes back to, you know, the, the three Fs that I talked about earlier, you know, faith, family, and friends. I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, our defensive tactics instructor in the police academy used to have us bring a photograph of the people we loved the most to class. And while he was teaching us di different defensive tactics, uh, you know, to, to learn to keep us safe out on the street, we were to look at those people that we love because he reasoned that we will fight harder for the people that we love than we will fight for ourselves. He wanted you to realize that, you know, if you're dealing with a drunk guy at 3 o'clock in the morning who pulls out a knife, it's like, you know what, this is more than just about you. There are people that love you. There are people that, you know, a mom and dad, a, a, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, children, somebody wants you coming home. So remember that this is much bigger than you. And, and that's, a, that's a great lesson to learn, that, that life is really, you know, if you want your life to be successful, if you want your life to be fulfilled, attach it to something that you're, that you're willing to die for and then give everything you have in your life to that. Attach yourself to something that's bigger than you. And I think that's what he was trying to tell us by, by bringing that photograph that, again, this is not just about you. This is about something that's much bigger than you. So people need to find their why. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that's, that's why we were put on this earth. There's a, there's a great, great quote by Mark Twain who said that the two most important days of our lives are the day we're born and the day we figure out why. And I, and that's kind of what I was talking about with my player when I, when I, you know, she asked me, you know, what do you think my purpose is? And she kind of asked me a little bit more. We talked a little bit more about it. And, you know, she's like, well, what if I don't have enough time? And I'm like, I can't believe that. And, and again, I, I don't want to put my faith or my religion or anything on, on, on you or any of your listeners, but I just can't believe that a God that made us out of love, that if we're made in the image and love us, likeness of God, put us on this earth to accomplish something with certain gifts and talents, would not give us the time, as long as we were searching for that purpose, 
with an open heart would, would, would take that away from us. And I reminded her that, and I'm going to use another sort of fast food reference, I reminded her that Colonel Harlan Sanders, who started Kentucky Fried Chicken, didn't start that franchise until he was in his 60s, until after he retired. Now, I don't know if that was his purpose in life. I'm going to assume that it was. But can you imagine if he was in his 40s and said, you know what, nah, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to quit looking for my purpose. I'm going to quit looking for the reason I was put here. I'm going to quit looking for my why. We'd never have that delicious chicken. And, and I love Kentucky Fried Chicken, so I, I'm glad he didn't stop. You know, but there's so many people that do. There's so many people that get to a point in their life and they just throw up their hands and they're like, you know what, the heck with it. I, I'm comfortable where I am. And you, you and I both know these people. They get up every morning. They do the exact same thing. They eat the same breakfast. They go to work the same way. They work. They come home. They watch TV. They go to bed every single day. Those people are dead. Those people just haven't fallen over yet. Because if you are not growing, then you're dying. And if you're just doing the same thing every day, if you're never getting outside your comfort zone, if you're not trying things that scare you, and I, I tell people this, especially young people, if you have a passion in your heart, to do something, and it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things that you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be the things that you didn't do. That is very true. I can actually think of another quote from Shawshank Redemption, Get Busy Living or Get or, um <laughs> The, was it get busy or, living or, or get busy dying? dying. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> great quote. Great quote. That yes. Was, so it is kind of the same thing. And stepping out of the comfort zone, I it's difficult for people to do that because they get so used to certain things. And I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. Whereas you get used to a certain way of doing things, and you and you know that things will sail smoothly. There won't be there won't be much. Um, push back and all of this other stuff. But sometimes, like I mentioned before in one of my daily thoughts when it comes to lightning in a bottle, because lightning in a bottle is a rare, is a rare thing. But the only way to catch lightning in a bottle is if you're willing to run out into the storm. If you stay inside, you won't be able to catch lightning in the bottle. You won't be able to catch that rarity in life. And when it comes to aging, too, I remember someone said to me a long time ago that if you don't have what you want by the time you turn 40, more than likely you won't get it. But I know there are certain situations where when people hit their 40s, that's when they reinvent themselves and things still happen. There's an amazing ad by Kaiser Permanente is for the Thrive thing where they start giving examples of people who accomplish things in their 50s and in their 70s and, and so on and so forth. And I think people have to understand that life doesn't stop until the life ends. It doesn't mean that once you hit 40 or once you hit 50, that's it. There isn't a chance to have accomplishments or to reinvent yourself and to do other things. It's, it only stops once it ends. And, and that's the difference, I guess, with the, with the mind, going back to the mind of people. You're, you're right. And, and one of the chapters that I, uh, that I, I titled in my book 
is and and the one that you know people always ask you what's your you know of your ten principles what's your favorite? I, I mean I don't really have a favorite and they're not in any particular order, but the one that always kind of resonates with me is the one that I, that I'm probably the guiltiest of, and and you've probably done this. I I think most people have, and it's this: it's most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds, and it goes back to you know you know hey let's just say you know. Casey says, I, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up this morning and I'm going to go skydiving. Now, the first thing that's going to happen is your brain's going to start being like, well, wait a minute, you know, the plane could crash, Casey, or your parachute may not open. or Because that's your brain. Like, what do you mean, Casey? You, you're not going skydiving. That's out of the status quo. That's out of my comfort zone. But if it's something that you want to do, that's where you got to control that mind. you got to say, you know what, yeah, it might, that may happen, but I don't think they're going to happen, and I'm going to take this chance. That's the only way you're going to grow in life. And we all are guilty of it. I know I am. I know I've not done things I wanted to do because I was afraid or because I was insecure or because I was scared that I would fail. And I always say to people, you know what, if you don't take that chance, first of all, if you do take the chance, only two things can happen. One, you can win, or two, you can you can learn. And people are like, no, 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 you can only win or you can lose. And I'm like, no, you can win. You can be successful. You want to start a business. I won. I was successful. My business was, was successful. Or two, I learned something. My business may have failed, but I learned something. Did you learn something that you could start another business with? Maybe. But maybe you learned something about yourself. So only two things are going to happen. You're going to win or you're going to learn something. So why not take the chance? Who cares what people say? Who? Why do you care? And I always love, especially with young people, you know, I, I'm being bullied. Bullying only works. If you take what those people are saying and make it yours, you know, if they, when I was 13 years old, I was six foot five. I had size 14 feet. They were skinny and my ears, my head had not caught up with my ears yet. And I got, I got teased mercilessly, but I didn't care because I didn't care what those people said. That, that only worked if I owned that. Oh yeah, I really care that, oh, my ears are big. Oh, I should be upset about that. The hell with my ears. That's not who I am. Those are just my ears, you know, and then my head caught up with them, and now they're not as big as I think they are. So, <laughs> but that's just it. It only hurts if you own it. So why do you care what other people think? Because at the end of your life, you're not going to be judged by what other people did. You're going to be judged by what you did. Actually, there's another saying, if not what people call you, is what you answer. Yeah. So, and you yeah. made the choice not to answer to it because it didn't matter. It you. didn't. It didn't. And I know that's easier said than done. Don't get me wrong. I understand, you know, especially children, they're impressionable and things like that. I, I'm not saying that, you know, it's easy. But, again, that only hurts if you own it. And that only hurts what people say, what they write about you, what you know, what they say about you in, in medias and things like that. You know, who cares what they say? It doesn't matter. It only matters if you own it. Right. And I actually have another question, too, because it seems like you have lived in a, quite a few states. Do you have a favorite state yet? I wanted to lighten I, it up a little. <laughs> sure. I, I understand. I, I mean, I, I love Charleston, South Carolina. I mean, you know, I was a kid from Chicago who – you know, got to spend winters in this relatively warm and wonderful environment. Didn't like the humidity, but I love Charleston. 
my my wife and I, when we got married, lived in Santa Barbara, California. Probably weather-wise, my favorite city, but we live in Denver, Colorado now, and, and that's probably the nicest, uh, most beautiful, most picturesque. Because I've lived on both coasts. We've also lived in Houston, so I've lived on the Gulf Coast. I would take the mountains over the over the oceans any day, and so yeah, I'll I'll say Colorado. Okay. Wow. All right. I, I'm I'm a water person. I I love being by the water. I live in the valley in Los Angeles right now, but okay. obviously when I'm on the PCH, it's just like there's there's nothing like it. Right. There's nothing like right. it. I mean, I, I some of those beautiful sunrises I've seen are. You know, the sun coming over the mountains right by the ocean in Santa Barbara when I was a policeman and I worked nights. It was, it was incredibly beautiful. Right. And also the mountains throughout the states are beautiful as well because like I said, I'm originally from South Carolina. So mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I've definitely been to the mountains. <laughs> well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And done that. This has been an amazing conversation and I guess we're close to the closing out period of of the conversation is there anything that you want to add and also I would like for you to say the name of your book again as well so the listeners know where they can get it sure I'll I'll leave you with the name of the book and then I'll 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 tell you a final story Uh, the book is called sustainable excellence the 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life you can get it uh on Amazon, you can get it at barnesandnoble.com. You can get it on Apple iBooks. Pretty much anywhere online, you can get a book. Uh, you can find it there. You can go to my website, motivationalcheck.com, and there's access to the book there. So let me leave you with this final story. So I've always been a big fan of uh, Westerns growing up. My mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch Gunsmoke and Wild Wild West and things like that. 1993, the movie Tombstone came out. You may have seen it. It starred Val Kilmer as John Doc Holliday and um, Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were two living, breathing human beings who actually walked on the face of the earth. They're not made-up characters for the movie. And Wyatt had pretty much been a lawman his entire life. And Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but he was pretty much a, a card slinger, card slinger, and a, and a gun, pardon me, gunslinger and a card shark. I'll get this right, I promise. And but for some reason, the two men formed this tremendous bond, this tremendous friendship. So at the end of the movie, Doc is dying at a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from my house. And and the real Doc Holiday did did die at that sanitarium. And at this point in his life, Wyatt is destitute. He has no money. He has no job. He has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc to pass the time. And in this scene, the two men are talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says he was in love with his cousin when he was younger, uh, but she joined a convent over the affair. But she was all that he ever wanted. And then he looks at Wyatt and he says, Wyatt, what about you? What do you want? And Wyatt says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal there's just life, and get on with living yours. I like that story because I think we're all kind of waiting for something. You know, if this happens, then I'll do this in my life. Or if that happens, I'll do this in my life. Or if this happens, then I'll have a normal life. There's no life, or there's no normal. There's just life. Stop waiting. Stop waiting for whatever it is that you're waiting to happen, and get on with living your life. 
and thank you very much for having me on your show. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, it's truly been a pleasure. I, you are welcome to come back anytime that you want on the Keeping the Real with KC podcast. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's actually one of the things that I will give thanks for today because speaking with you, there were a lot of things that you said that I needed to hear. Well, you know, it's, it's people like you that, that give folks like me a forum and between the two of us, hopefully, Maybe we made a difference in each other's lives, and hopefully we made a difference in the lives of, of members of your audience. I hope so. All right, awesome. Well, Terry, thank you again. I, I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you, Casey. You take care of yourself. That concludes the Conversations with KC segment. Thank you to all of the podcast listeners. I hope that you found my conversation with Terry very enjoyable. It, it was definitely very inspiring for myself, and I'm pretty sure that other people who have listened to this conversation will find, has found it inspiring too. Oh, boy, I tell you. You never know what someone's going through. You never know what someone is going through. And this is an example of that one thing that I had said to Terry after we wrapped up was that if you listened to him on the phone, if you had never met him and didn't know anything about him and you just listened to his voice, that you may think everything is fine. Imagine if you were a customer service agent or, or something of that nature where you had to do a telephone call with him. And in listening to his voice, you would think that everything's fine. But you wouldn't know that he is currently still fighting cancer to this day. That's why he's a cancer warrior. And it's something that it makes it makes you it makes you stop and think is what it does. It makes you stop and think. But like I said, Terry is always welcome to come back to the show anytime as well as all the others who have taken time out of their day to come on my show and have a conversation with me. KIRWKC.com main podcasting platform. This podcast is carried on Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Overcast, Bullhorn, Amazon Music, Audible, and several other podcasting platforms. Please feel free to listen to this podcast on whatever platform is most convenient for you. KIRWKC on all the social media platforms. Thank you again to all of the listeners of this podcast. Until next time, be blessed.